Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of The Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, Stephen Godfrey joins. You guys know Stephen well. He is the senior writer for Banner Society. He's the host of Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. He uh, based in Nashville. He's all over the place. Ole Miss grad. You guys have heard from him over the years. We're going to talk a lot about the Ole Miss job, a little about the Arkansas job, a little about Missouri, a little about... Uh, Florida State, just the, a little bit about the uh, the Egg Bowl, the rivalry, what happened with Matt Luke, all of those things. We'll get to that in a moment. First, let me tell you about the uh, Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon, where right now you can get 10 crystals for $6, perfect for championship weekend. You can also get the new Nashville Hot Chick. It's part of the Pick 5 for five fifty-five. Uh, you can also get the Scrambler breakfast bowls. The early bird gets the sausage. They got bacon, too, cheese, grits, all of that stuff. Fresh cracked eggs, everything you could want there at the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's that simple. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. Get your quote. And the rest is up to you. What I recommend is that you hop into a Clark Ford. You'll love the service after the sale. Corey wants to be your truck guy. He wants to be your car guy. He'll prove that to you. 662-257-1900. We're also brought to you by Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. It's more than 30 years old. It's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the southeast all of the underwriting and the processing is done in memphis so you're getting local underwriting that understands your market it's also the leader in condo financing in the oxford market so get in touch with jason lowe ask about community mortgages float down option which allows you to lock in the current rate but if rates go down before you close you can get the lower rate j low j l o w e at community mtg.com now here's stephen godfrey Stephen, welcome into the uh, show. Really appreciate you spending some time. I know this is a busy time for you. Every year, it's a busy time for me. This year, last couple of years, I it wasn't. I guess two years ago it was, and then that was a crazy search, and it led that the results of that search led to where we are today, which is Matt Luke's out at Ole Miss. The uh, search for his replacement is uh, is getting started. So thanks for being with us. Of course. All right, let's start here because the, the the people that are listening to this are predominantly Ole Miss people. They want to talk about the Ole Miss job, so let's let's talk about mm-hmm. it today, right now, today. You just you you and I were talking a minute ago, and you were talking about hey, there is no long term anymore. And you're right. I mean, Chad Morris gone after two years, Matt Luke gone after two or three years, depending on how you interpret his tenure. Coaches don't Willie Taggart gone quickly at Florida State, right, wrong, or indifferent. Coaches get fired fast now. They don't get as long. When you look at the Ole Miss job today, right now, short term, how attractive is or isn't it? Mm. 
I think all SEC jobs are attractive inherently because there is a guaranteed revenue. Uh, there's a guaranteed level of support, and then there's a particular dollar figure that things are set at in the Southeastern Conference is just different than anywhere else. Um, now, that being said, where you where you get on the short end of the stick of your Ole Miss is you start comparing Ole Miss to other SEC jobs, and that's why I think it's very interesting, maybe beneficial for Ole Miss in this cycle if they're being compared to Arkansas and Missouri rather than, you know, an Auburn or even, a, you know, South Carolina or something like that. All right, the, the name that comes up the most early going mm-hmm. for, for for Ole Miss is is uh, Mike Norvell. Tell me what your thoughts are. You, you're a guy that one of the things that, that you do that I have always admired about your work and I've always enjoyed some of the deep digs that you've done on different coaches, different programs. I don't know how well you know or don't know Norvell. I'm sure that if you don't know him well, you know a lot of people who know a lot of him. Just your thoughts on Mike Norvell, the coach, and then – Ultimately, if he were to take the Ole Miss job, what kind of a fit do you think he would be? I think he would fit Ole Miss if they get him. Um, but I think what Ole Miss is, you know, actually we'll, we'll get to that in a second because I think what Ole Miss is looking for is actually a, a sense of validation right now that doesn't have much to do with football. I don't think Matt Luke was really even fired for football reasons. I think there's an identity crisis going on in Ole Miss. But um, right. well, Mike Norvell. We'll get to that in a minute, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, uh, Mike Norvell is a, a strong offensive mind, has done a really good job recruiting, although it's a little deceptive when you say that in the American Athletic Conference because you get to a particular ceiling with those programs, you maximize your local talent if you have it, and then that's really how you, that's how you get to the next gig. So that is the pattern. What I just said is essentially the pattern that gets Justin Fuente out of Memphis before Mike Norvell. And I will say this, Mike Norvell did a really good job of maintaining and I think exceeding what Fuente had both in terms of scheme and in terms of player development recruiting. But when you were an AAC coach, you maximize the available talent in a talent-rich area. Okay, so Chad Morris at SMU did this just like Willie Taggart at USF did this, just like Matt Rule at Temple did this, and on and on and on. Your success at the next level is not guaranteed because of that. Um, you have either recruited in the Southeastern Conference or you have not. It, it is that simple. You either know how to run a staff or you do not. It doesn't mean that you will, uh, you know, you'll, you will fail if you come in as a, uh, a head coach who's never recruited in the SEC. We've seen that proven wrong before. However, it is uh, substantially harder if you are not familiar with, um, with the, uh, you know, the meat market, with the butcher's room, so to speak. Um, your opinion, Mike Norvell, it, it looks like, I guess we'll dance around this a little bit. Florida State's open. I don't know what the hell's going to happen there. His name comes up there. If Mike Norvell could choose between Florida State and Ole Miss, in your opinion, which would he choose? And I guess I'll keep, I'll throw staying at Memphis in his, on his menu. Uh, I mean, no one, no one's trying to stay at an AAC job permanently. Uh, the only exception I've seen is Dana Holgerson, who left a Big 12 job to go to Houston, because Houston believes Houston has a completely different perception of itself than any other Group of Five program, Boise included. Um, and so I would throw that out for a second. All of the coaches I just named, and I can ream off even more. I mean, Scott Frost, Jeff Collins. I think I said Willie Tiger, Matt Rule. Um, you don't go to the AAC to stay there. And if they say that, they're lying. It's just, that's the reality. You want to get into the P5, you want to get into the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, this is the way to do it. Um, 
So I don't think staying at if he's at Memphis, there's something wrong with the, with the equation here. There's something that the public doesn't know. Okay, if he is at Memphis at the end of this, there's something more to be said about this story. Um, now, as far as Florida State and Ole Miss, short term and long term, I think are how you evaluate this, and that's why. It's hard to go apples to apples with these two jobs because there's so many mitigating factors. I think contract length is going to be important. Um, I think the resources available are going to be important. Florida State's in kind of a sticky situation. Um, one of the things that's confusing to me about Florida State was that they made a move to fire Taggart, who has really had kind of a razor's edge of margin to work with. If you don't know, Florida State inherited a horrific APR situation when Jimbo Fisher left for Texas A&M. That kind of tied Willie Taggart's hands in terms of how much roster upending they could really do. Um, they made a couple poor hires in his first cycle at coordinator. I think ultimately the DC hired kind of sunk him as well as, you know, I don't know if he was ever on the same page with Kendall Browse, who's a good OC, but he came in too late. Florida State, in terms of, it's a shaky, it's a shaky situation for a roster. It's a shaky situation in recruiting, and then the biggest thing that, that Florida State has is a disconnect right now between the perception of itself, and the reality. Now, you can say the same about Ole Miss, and I would, but it's different because Florida State won a national title in the last, gosh, how many years ago was that, 13? So six, seven years ago. Um, the problem is, look, Jimbo Fisher can be grating and disingenuous, and you can call him a shyster or a crook for taking the contract that he did at A&M. doesn't mean he's wrong about everything. That's what I've been saying lately about Florida State. You know, some of the key things and some of the talking points that, that Jimbo had on the way out are not untrue. Florida State it does not have the financial coffers of, of, of most power programs, right? They have, I think what infuriated Jimbo the most about Florida State was the ascension of Clemson, and Clemson took all the best parts of, of the way that Florida, Florida State, Miami, those schools were built, and really, and, and the SEC powers in terms of talent, or in terms of recruiting and talent development, Clemson looked at well, how do how do the best teams in the ACC do it, and then how do the stalwart SEC programs do it? So, like Alabama and Georgia and Auburn, and they copied it, and they were able to do that through aggressive fundraising, through deep pockets, and through a commitment to winning. And now Clemson functions as much of as, as, as functions as much like an SEC program as any SEC program does, right? Yeah, they are they are now head and shoulders alongside Alabama. I mean, they're probably a step ahead of Georgia. That's that's insane to think about relative to even five or ten years ago. So when you look at Florida State, they haven't done any of those things. And the problem is that they're still expecting ten win seasons at a minimum and national title contention as a base setting. That's hard. Now, when you look at Ole Miss, are there some disproportionate expectations relative to reality? Absolutely. It's Mississippi. Um, Mississippi is cursed with a... With, with a um, it's an insanity. You could say it's an, you could you could say it's a unique vision, but the, both Mississippi schools expect to be Alabama or Georgia or LSU or competitive with those schools without allocating any of the resources, the population, the infrastructure. Uh, they have the fandom, they have the passion, they just don't have the numbers. In Ole Miss's case, there's a compounding factor that they're still fighting wars from 1860, and they're still fighting cultural issues, and they're still at odds. And people, you're, I'm going to say that, and, and a significant portion of your listenership is going to uh, get angry, uh, but I can tell you as someone who holds a degree from the university and someone who spent a significant amount of time there as a student and a dirtbag, um, it's true, flat out. There's a perception against Ole Miss, and there's a 
uh, hesitant to move in a, in a united front forward to do the things that are best for football. Um, and so that's a big issue as well. Mike Norvell does not have to win 10 games minimum at Ole Miss. Mike Norvell does have to keep them competitive. And I do believe fundamentally that it's impossible to keep Ole Miss competitive in the SEC West without making some serious, serious changes in the product, in the branding, in the identity, because those things affect marketing, they affect recruiting, they affect fundraising. The problem right now, as you know, Neil, is that those people who resist change are also the ones with the deepest pockets, which is why I kind of think Ole Miss is cursed. I was going to ask you next about Norvell, but I'm going to go. I'm going to stay stay there for a minute. You, you referred to it as an identity crisis. You just touched on it there. Obviously, the the Boyce thing did not go over well. It's my opinion that Boyce has an opportunity right here through athletics to sort of validate himself, to justify himself, and then take a lot of the negativity off of his hiring and, and, and make it go away. He he hired Keith Carter, which got ridiculed by a lot of people. I actually think, and, we'll, and we're going to find out here soon, I actually think Keith's going to be a good AD. I just think the optics of what, with the Matt Luke hire two years ago, which this is not about Matt. I didn't think it was a good hire. The reason I didn't think Matt was a good hire was this. And it started two years ago. Is If, if you're going to say throughout the fall of 17, Look, he's our interim coach. We, we we appreciate the job he's doing, but you know we're we're conducting a national search and we're going to go out and get the best guy. And then you promote you promote Matt Luke. It it it's disingenuous. And when you well, I think that I, I think that it's the same hire, isn't it? It is Carter and Matt Luke. It, well, uh, yeah, I, I would argue that Carter was more was more qualified. Than, than Luke was, but I but I know what you're saying. the 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 difference is, I actually think, because of Carter's background in now in an ideal world, Keith has worked at some other places. He's been at the at the least, he's been a number two at another at another Power Five, or he's been the AD at a smaller school. You know, he could be the AD at Austin P. I don't know why that comes to mind. It just does. Uh, right, someplace like that where hey, I've done it, AD at Arkansas State or something where you say, I've done it, I, I know what I'm doing, and I'm ready for this. I do think, based on how much, the, you know, under Ross Bjork, when Stephen Ponder was let go and they weren't, they didn't fill that job, Keith, even though he wasn't a number two, got promoted into a role where he did the job of a number two quite a bit. So I do think he's more prepared for it than a lot of people think. This is his big moment. It's his big opportunity. He can, he and Glenn Boyce can silence a lot of that by making the right kind of hire, by not falling hostage to this. We've got to get somebody who's one of our own. We've got to get somebody who's been here before. We've got to get somebody with Mississippi ties. That's why when people throw Mike McIntyre's name out, for example, I'm not saying Mike McIntyre wouldn't be a good coach. I'm not saying Mike McIntyre wouldn't be a good fit at Ole Miss. I don't know. I know this. I'm just, I can tell you this. There's a report that's not going to happen. Yeah, if that were to happen, it it is – it's a train wreck. At, at that point, what you're saying is we cannot get out of our own web. And this is their opportunity, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, to take a big step toward – and I, I know what, when you say culture, you mean this overriding thing, and I know what you're talking about. But this is a step as a football program, as an athletics department. It is an opportunity for them to take a big step forward and say, okay, we're through with all that stuff. 
we're 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 trying to compete with the big boys and we're going to do it the right way it's possible um i think that keith carter has something that even ross bjork doesn't have which is the luxury to make that higher i think i think he keith here's what differentiates keith carter from matt luke and from ross bjork for that matter because q freeze was hired before ross came in power um so he was a circumstance for ross and he would, of course, tell you now how terrible it was, even though, you know, he built an entire athletics fundraising campaign and brand around Hugh Freeze until it was too late. Obviously didn't afford enough oversight to that situation. Um, I can't not talk about all of it relative to this, because it's a lot of the same individuals still functioning behind the names, so behind the athletic director, behind the coach, the people in the Ole Miss community. Um, they do often repeat patterns and expect different results, which is the definition of insanity. Um, I think what Keith has right now is a chance, not a luxury, but a chance to be different than all of those individuals I just named because Matt Luke was really doomed from the start to be a caretaker, to be an interim, you know, even without the interim tag, literal or figurative. I mean, he was never going to be able to turn this thing around in time because of the path. It was already, it was just preordained. You're in the SEC West. You scheduled the, the worst way possible when Ross was here. I mean, I don't think do a lot of Ole Miss fans realize that not only do you have Baylor next year, but you have Louisville the following year. Um, I know it's, it's a, it's a, it's it's a brutal disaster. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was Keith Carter, the first thing I would be doing is pulling out of every one of those neutrals. If, if you can't, it's too late contractually, I believe to get out of 2020. Um, but I would, I would go about pulling out of the rest and finding someone that, you know, that fits the, fits the state of the program for the next five to six years. They got so far ahead of their skis at the peak of the freeze there, even though it was a capital sand, that they scheduled 10 years down the road thinking they were Alabama. Um, to the point in hand, I think Keith Carter has a tremendous opportunity. You know, Ross Bjork couldn't get out of the way of the good old boys to make the right hire. You know, we, you and I, you know, we talked to a lot of the same people. I'm not going to speak for you, but I, I, I know, and I'm, I'm comfortable saying this, that Matt Luke was not a unilateral hire. It was not a decision made unilaterally by the athletic department. No, Ross Bjork was going to hire um, Ross, right or wrong, good or bad, whether it would have worked or wouldn't, uh, people can debate that till till they, they can debate it till they're just exhausted. That's up to them. I'm not going to participate in yeah. it because it doesn't matter. It's it's so hypothetical now that it's ridiculous. But but Ross Bjork was hiring right. Dave Doran. Uh, the best thing that Keith Carter can do is make uh, a higher independent of the noise. And it's going to be really, really hard to do that. Um, it's possible though. He, he just, I guess what I'm kind of, uh, what I'm fixated on right now in terms of narrative is the fact that he has a chance to make a big change. And I don't know if any of those individuals did. I think that the fate of Ole Miss was sort of written the day that the administration laid down against the NCAA, either for there to save themselves and get uh, get new jobs like they did, like your Ross Bjorks and your Michael Thompsons, and those individuals were able to to salvage their own careers, and they did that either in just pure self preservation, or they did it because they did not understand the depth and pervasiveness of the rot. Um, and either way, they're at fault because they're supposed to be overseers. Um, and so now it's hard to even create a clean slate. This is the closest chance they've had. The marks against Keith Carter are that he worked at Ole Miss under those individuals and that he is an Ole Miss guy, played at Ole Miss. I met Keith. He's, he's a very uh, amiable person. Uh, I think he's very smart. I think he could be a great leader in time. 
but we've seen now a pattern of Ole Miss hiring Ole Miss because they're Ole Miss, and that pattern has not produced great results. So that is that is a mark against Keith that is inherently unfair, but that's just the reality of the game. That's the perception. Neil, I asked a question on my show on Vantage Society. Um, someone asked the que- someone someone asked the question on our show podcast and played nobody to me about you know what's going on at Ole Miss because the boys thing kind of drew just enough attention to where if you weren't an Ole Miss fan, you, you kind of heard about it, but you didn't understand it. You, know, you saw these people protesting the chancellor, and they didn't really know why. Uh, and then the Keith Carter thing happened. And so someone asked me on my show about Ole Miss, and I just said I would be, I would challenge anyone listening right now. We have listeners who cheer for Division II programs. You know, we have, we have all across the country people who listen to all different kinds of affiliations. I said, find me another school. It fancies itself a football power at any level that has a football coach, an athletic director, and a chancellor slash president slash overseer who all hold degrees from the university. Find me that level of home cooking. And the best that I got was for a period of time, actually the University of Georgia had that going, but, but one is a master's degree, so I don't know if I'd count that. But the, my point stands. There was such a level of intellectual and philosophical incest in the Ole Miss community that it seemed impossible from the outside that they would rather that they would they would accomplish anything other than serving their own self interest. No, I think that's fair. I, I, I saw it for for years here. Um, it wasn't a new thing. It's what's interesting is that I think because of the backlash that uh, that Boyce got. And then what you saw with this groundswell of post-Egg Bowl, and I don't think it was Egg Bowl. I think it was the Elijah Moore thing. I think it was him strutting on the Let's let's sit with that for a second, too. Okay. Because that's why we're here. Yeah. That's why I'm on your show today, because I'm talking about a coaching change, and, and there's a coaching change because of Elijah Moore. Now, do I fault Elijah Moore? I do not. I think student athletes, and I hate that term vehemently, but I think that the the football players, the basketball players uh, in the NCAA are essentially robbed of all agency and identity by the process. I've written extensively about this. Um, I think Elijah Moore, how mad could you be at Elijah Moore when he repeated an action that went undisciplined under the same coaching staff in the same game, in the same stadium? Two years earlier. Uh, two, two years prior. Yeah. This is what I'll say about the Egg Bowl. It hires coaches and it fires coaches, but it mainly fires coaches. Now, it fires coaches sometimes because it's the end of the road and it's an obvious signpost, like Sylvester Croom. Okay, it also fires coaches because there is such a disproportionate. And I, by the way, what I'm about to say is not a compliment. I'm not speaking to the passion of college football as a positive. I'm speaking to the passion uh, passion of college football as authoring your own demise in the case of Ole Miss. The Egg Bowl has such a disproportionate emphasis placed upon it in the state of Mississippi that it has poisoned the entire well. Mississippi State University and Ole Miss operate with such a ridiculous emphasis on a rivalry that I am telling you from the outside, and if you're listening to this, you're probably an Ole Miss fan, right? I'm telling you from the outside, it has become a farce, and you are crabs in a bucket. And nobody wants to admit that. They think that people from the outside are looking and saying, wow, this game has such passion. No, 
This game is the end result of fighting for the bottom bunk. And so when it becomes a parody or it becomes outrageous or controversial like this ending was, people are not laughing with you. They are laughing, they're laughing at, at you. you. And they're not, laugh- they're not laughing at Elijah Moore either. They're laughing at the fact that this is what this rivalry has become. There's no doubt. It's the, lawsuit, yeah. the lawsuits, the, the, the enabling the NCAA, the snitching on one another, the fact that, look, I, I think one of the, the the party most at fault is actually the Southeastern Conference and Greg Sankey because they just didn't understand what they were in. I think this administration, the SEC, just didn't understand what they were inheriting in some of these situations. And you've seen it other places, Neil. Uh, LSU and Florida going going to war publicly over hurricane rescheduling. Right, that that stuff just doesn't happen when Mike Fly's there. But Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I think, is the dirtiest, nastiest, most entangled of all of them. Um, when you watch the Iron Bowl. You and I have spoken about this. When you watch, even, okay, here's a great example. LSU and Texas A&M, I was in Baton Rouge to cover that game on Saturday. Now, there was a fracas that ended that game, right? Last year, 74-72, Jimbo's nephew, all that stuff. Not a stitch of it. Is it because they haven't been in-state rivals for 80 years and I don't know what I'm talking about? No, it has to do with the fact that those programs, even even Texas A&M in its current state, have much bigger priorities and ambitions. And that's the problem with Mississippi. It has sealed itself off culturally, socially, and even economically at times from the rest of the country and the rest of the league and the rest of the, the, the culture that it, it only, everything is disproportionate. And, and so we're sitting here right now, and Keith Carter, and you know, you know this and I know this, and I'll say it as a reporter, we're sitting here because Ole Miss lost the Egg Bowl. And even some of the smartest minds that have led Ole Miss in history, like Robert Kayak, one of his ills or one of his weakest features was a disproportionate <laughs> emphasis on this one game. And this is what gets people fired. If you don't believe me, Neil, the coach of the best team in college football was fired because he mismanaged the, the punting situation <laughs> in, in that game. And that was that Orsron, right? Because we, we remember he had, he, had, yeah. he had stocked the cupboard for, for years to come. You know, he was not the same coach, and I've taken flack from Ole Miss people on Twitter about this. I feel like I'm filibustering now. I apologize. Uh, I've taken flack from Ole Miss people on Twitter about this, but he was not the same coach maturity-wise at all. I've written about this. I've talked with him at LSU. He needed the time to change and become the coach that he is at the place that he is at. But I think he was doing more good at the time than we recognized, and even that I recognized at the time. But he lost the Egg Bowl, and he lost it in an embarrassing way, and Jerry Snow would walk, you know, came back into the stadium and Davis Wade, and that was it. Now, I'm not saying they should have kept that Orgeron for 15 years or anything like that, but I am saying that this game fires people for sometimes insane reasons. Now, was Matt Luke ever supposed to be the head coach, in your opinion? No. Right. So it is what it is. In the same way that I I believe, and I'm sourced on this, and you might tell me I'm wrong, but my sourcing's pretty good. I, I believe that as of Thursday morning, the plan in Startville was to move on from Joe Moorhead. Uh, Mississippi State. Winner. Yeah, they had a short list. Yeah, they yeah. had a short list of candidates ready to go. Um, and on top of that, there were there were reports both around Mississippi State in terms of the the greater college football community, but also inside where there was an expectation that if they lost that game, there would there would be a change because there was a an immense amount of satisfaction from some 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 key individuals. Um, that being said, they won the, they won the egg bowl and they won it in the way in which they did. And Joe Moorhead, I think has been able to to 
survive what has been a very unfair period of time for him and the perception of his coaching ability. Um, you know, Mississippi State fans had those outsized expectations in the wake of Dan Mullen leaving that this was a turnkey operation to somehow win the SEC West without a thought of. That doesn't happen. Um, they were close. They were probably closer than, than people realized, but then it, it did fall apart. Obviously, they didn't have the offense ready, and Nick Fitzgerald didn't fit in the system. It, it, it didn't work. You know, the funny, the crazy, the, the crazy thing just for a second about Joe Moorhead was he, had he been let go by Mississippi State, he would have been scooped up immediately as an offensive coordinator, but also as a head coach, and I think people need to hear that. He's a really, really good coach. He's in a he's in a very different situation than anything else in his career. And I don't know if he's going to get it done or not there because these are challenging jobs, the two Mississippi schools. But this idea throughout the state that he had somehow gotten in over his head or didn't understand what he was doing is an absolute falsehood. It's not true. He's one of the most respected coaches in offensive football alone in the country right now. Um so, yeah, I don't want to say for a second that this is a, just an Ole Miss problem. Mississippi State, they lost the Egg Bowl. And I don't know, Neil, I, was, did Ole Miss have a chance with APR to go to a bowl? Uh, it would have had to have help, and it turns out that there were enough six-win teams that it wouldn't have mattered. Okay. But they were really close. Right. Matt did a Matt has done a great job of, of rebuilding that. I mean, Ole Miss's APR was not in tremendous shape when Matt inherited it, and he's done a really good job of, of cleaning that up. Yeah, so – um, had that happened, I think it would have been enough embarrassment again because th- these these programs are just obsessed with evaluating themselves against one another. Um, you know, the, the one that everyone wants to compare this thing to is the Iron Bowl, and, and here's the difference. Those programs do not set a course to beat their rival, at, you know, starting in July when they get together for team meetings and workouts. They, they set a course to win the national championship. And they want to, and they know that that other school down the road is just as capable. You know, maybe in recent years it's been just Alabama, but we, you know, we saw Auburn's capable of. Um, that's the difference. It is yourself second, and the betterment of your program above all else, and beating your rivals is always going to be behind that. And Ole Miss and State boosters will get angry and tell me that they believe the same thing, but your behavior lies. Okay, your behavior as a university and as an organization and putting gold on your jersey and the videos you make and the fact you trot that Egg Bowl trophy around, both sides do that. It, that's, you're lying to yourself. We take a break, uh, take a break in our talk with uh, Stephen to tell you this podcast is also brought to you by LB's Meat Market. It is Christmas time, perfect time to head over to LB's, the freshest cuts in Oxford, Uh, the best meat market anywhere near Oxford. You will uh, absolutely love it. Make sure you tell Greg Jones and the people there that uh, LB's that you heard about LB's here on the, uh, the beer garden. Uh, He'll take extra care of you. He'll throw a few extra things in your, uh, in your stocking, if you will, 662-259-2999. Give him a call. Tell him what you want. He'll have it ordered up. You're getting your beef tenderloin for Christmas, whatever the case may be. Go ahead and call. Get set. He'll have that thing ready for you when you walk in if you're in a hurry. And if you're not in a hurry, it is the perfect place to go in and browse. Uh, Chicken, pork, seafood from the Gulf, the freshest beef. Just fantastic place. All the sausages are great as an appetizer, as a meal. Uh, Perfect for uh, heading to a party where you guys are grilling or whatnot. 
it's a, a great thing to have. I recommend the chicken jalapeno, the ribeye, the, the spicy ribeye. Those sausages are just fantastic. Try a bunch. You'll find your own favorite there as well at LB's. And we are brought to you by Strategic Partners and Media. SPM's a full-service advertising agency, works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. Here's why SPM's really good and different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, the editing is done solely by their staff, crafted uniquely for their clients. And lastly, an Ole Miss grad and a Mississippian is a partner in the firm. So give them a call. See how great they are. It's Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Now back to Stephen Godfrey. Yeah, I, I could talk about the Egg Bowl and, and the rivalry. And I, I have advocated for about three years now that if Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl, it's one of the reasons I, I found it fascinating that – not fascinating. It's not the right word. I found it almost comical, the, the SEC stance about the trophy. But I did sort of wonder if the SEC was concerned that just maybe, just maybe, Ole Miss would listen to me and then subsequently some of the, the fans who have said the same thing win the game in Starkville and just leave the trophy there. I wondered if that vision, that picture, which ESPN, of course, would love to show, it would be – it would it would be dramatic, if you will, if you know they brought the, they brought the trophy out on the field and the, what what's supposed to happen if the if Ole Miss wins is they're supposed to run go get it and run around the stadium with it. I wondered what would happen if if uh, you know Ole Miss just said nah we're done with it we got to get past this we got to move on from this rivalry it's it's caustic it's toxic and we're moving on. I the was, problem is the boosters would have flipped. They would have I lost their that. minds. Yeah, the hardcore old yeah. man boosters would have yeah. lost their minds. Yeah, they would have they would have revolted. It would never happen with Matt. Now that there's a new coach, and I presume a younger coach, and I'm gonna get back into Norvell here and other coaches while I have some time with you. Uh, it, there, that opportunity will come up again, and I, it's my opinion that Ole Miss or somebody state Ole Miss somebody. Ole Miss first has to change the way they approach that game, and then secondly, at some point, they've got to. It's got to stop being the end all, be all uh, at Ole Miss because if if that becomes goal one, you're done. You're, as a program, you're never getting anywhere. If beating Mississippi State is goal one, you're just you're just not getting anywhere. Well, and that's been the motivation of both sides for so long. Yeah, um, it's gonna be hard. And you know, to go back to the to the Mississippi Mayhem year with a Sports Illustrated cover, and you know. But that still was such a focal point, which was just so insane because they were so they were so torn up at one another that they were both good at the same time. They're both peaking at the same time. Um, again, go about your business; it doesn't matter. Go about doing you know, go about doing what it is you do and be successful. Um, of course, we found out now during during all of that, they were there was this you know uh, hidden war going on with the NCAA enforcement. So. Um, yeah, it's you know I could I could probably opine for a long time about it, and uh, I've got a book in me one day. But it's um, I think to be positive for a second, um, there is always an opportunity because the amount of money that goes into college athletics and the fact they were willing to spend as much as they they're going to have to to buy everybody out and start over is that they can there, there's always a chance that you can write the ship, and there's always a chance that you can clean slate a lot of the, the, the mental toxicity that's around this program and the right staff 
if given the agency, if given the, the, the real control of the program, the right staff could do that. All right, let's talk about Norvell real quick, and then I want to talk about some of the other jobs and some of the other candidates that are out there, because I am curious if this isn't Mike Norvell, who it might be. A couple of years ago, Mike Norvell's name was super hot, and then it wasn't. And then it wasn't. You know what I mean? I mean, he was, hey, Florida's going to hire him, and then they didn't. Ole Miss was going to hire him, and then it didn't. Mississippi State was going to hire him, and then it didn't. Tennessee, there was a Memphis part of that, but Tennessee moved on. Arkansas hired uh, Chad Morris instead. Mm -hmm. What happened then, in your opinion? I'm not asking you to plagiarize yourself or, or get yourself in trouble here, but what happened then, and why is it, or is it different this time around for Mike Norvell? I think in Ole Miss's case, there's a desperation now. Um, they thought that Matt Luke would extend the success of Hugh Freeze because he was a member of that staff, and now they just need to get back to their winning ways. Um, or so they believe. Uh, Arkansas is the same situation, right? Arkansas cratered. One thing, just for a second, I will say that Ole Miss inexplicably is in better shape at the moment than Arkansas. Now, that may not hold. Arkansas has the ability to come back and be very successful, but for the moment, Ole Miss is in a much, much better place than Arkansas. Now, as far as Norvell, I think that it's all about cultural fit. I think his background, um, you know, we had uh, Chad Chatless, who runs Ventura Partners, um, on our show on Podcast Name Play Nobody uh, last Monday. And you can go look through our podcast feed and listen to it. And, uh, and, and, it's particularly germane to Ole Miss because he's going to be assisting Keith in the search. And I really think, by the way, I, I mean, I'll go ahead and say this. I think it's a one-horse race at the moment in that they're going to go and offer Norvell or focus on Norvell first. And then if that does not happen, they will then go for a more traditional search with, you know, multiple candidates. Um, they're going to make Norvell say no first is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think Norvell might scare some people. And I think Norvell and, and I think his background might scare some people. I think that, you know, Chad Chatlos, when he was on our show, he said, and this was the thing that surprised me the most, Neil, was that you guys don't, you, you don't understand how much uh, of a concern reputation and character and um, just, just, you know, rumors in general play in the anxiety of an athletic director. That's what Chatlos was talking about. Um, in that, you know, ADs are making these life and career changing decisions for their, for themselves, but also for the entire university. And so the margin for error has gotten so small, right? Because these are multi-million dollar moves. You get it wrong. It's going to cost you even more money and it's probably going to cost you your job. So the idea of there being any potential for a Hugh Freeze or a Bobby Petrino situation, you just can't have it anymore. And so I think schools become hyper paranoid about any, of that innuendo or rumor, or is it, hey, is he too good of a recruiter at this level, or is he too flashy, is he too this, is he too that? And so that's why sometimes I think the steady hand wins. I think that's how Chad Morris ended up at Arkansas, because Chad is, Chad is in terms of character, pretty much the high school, the high school football coach and the high school principal kind of guy that you, that you see. That's who he is in real life, I can tell you that from personal experience. Yeah. Um, and that, that appealed to a lot of people. But the, the, the irony is this. And I'm the Bagman guy. I've written about it, right? The irony is that it doesn't, you know, uh, squeaky clean high school principals don't win in the SEC. Okay? You can't be half a gangster. So that's the disconnect. 
I think Norvell will end up at a job because what Norvell has done between now and the previous cycle that he was so mentioned about in is that he kept winning, right? And he wins in a, he wins in an attractive way. Yeah, he does. A lot of points. Yeah, a lot of points. Fast moving offense, and that's that's sort of the order of the day in college football. Discipline teams, all that stuff. Yeah, no doubt. His, his programs. Yeah. his programs don't get in a lot of trouble off the field, and and yeah, it's not always the case. Uh, all right, let, let me let me jump around. I know you don't have a lot of time. You got a meeting in a few minutes, so let, let's. I'll be quick. If it's not Norvell, if for some reason Mike Norvell says no, who would be some names that you would be looking at quickly if you were Keith Carter? Uh, Billy Napier, the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette, or I think I'm supposed to call him Louisiana now. I don't know. Um, it's, it's Louisiana. The, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the UL <and> <laughs> As um, a ULM guy, no, I, I can tell you it's ULL. Yeah. Well, I know they hate it when you call him ULL. So, um, uh, Napier has, uh, has a very valuable asset that not only did he come out of the Saban system, I think without being Sabanized, he knows how to recruit in the SEC. He was a great recruiter for Alabama. And I think that that is a really rare attribute when you're looking at G5 head coaches. So I think he's at the top of my list. Um, if I'm trying to fit for, if I'm, if I'm trying to fit someone at Ole Miss, I think he would work. Um, I think Brian Harson is an intriguing name. I know he thought of very well. Yeah. Um, I think Keith Carter likes him. Yeah. That's the, that's the rumor. Brian right? Harson is a, yeah. Brian Harson is a guy that I think he's sort of, he, he's at the apex. He's at the pinnacle of what you can do with Boise. Um, and you know, that's not really telling tales. I think it's just, it's just a matter of fact. And you go and look at his record, his consistency, he was able to maintain. And I think in, in some areas improve upon what Peterson did while he was at Boise. The only thing that's eluded him is that perfect season. Um, he obviously has some experience, right? He was an assistant at Texas and he was head coach for one year at Arkansas state. So he's not completely foreign to the area, but I definitely think that in terms of program management, steady hands, character, all that. Um, you know, the knock on him or the, the concern about him would just be you'd have to you'd ha- really have to kind of overhaul that staff that he's got right now to fit SEC recruiting. That's probably the biggest thing on Harson. But I think he's an incredibly good schematic development, you know, just a strategy guy. Um, I think he would be pretty formidable on game day with an SEC roster. We heard a lot about Lane Kiffin in the last 48 hours at Arkansas. Does that happen? And yeah. your thoughts on Lane Kiffin just as a SEC coach, whether it's Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss, somewhere else down the line, is it going to happen again? Well, I think that um, one thing that's worth mentioning is that Lane Kiffin and Hunter Juracek, the Arkansas AD, aren't strangers because Lane was, Lane was a finalist for the Houston job after Tom Herman left for Texas. And they went in a very different direction with keeping Major Applewhite, and Lane was red hot at the time. So I'm curious if if Hunter is going to make a move now that he wouldn't make before. Um, I know there's some appeal in Lane, and I get that. Um, I, I think there's other candidates out there right now. I think uh, Willie Fritz at Tulane, Skip Hull to Louisiana Tech, those are two names that I've heard um, that have been aggressively vetted and pursued by, by Arkansas. Um, Kiffin has a certain... Uh, PR ability to go in there and excite people. Uh, but yeah, he's also, by the way, he's also a guy who's also coaching in a conference championship game this weekend. So that kind of complicates factors. Arkansas would have liked to have had this done by now, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the fact that it's not done right now makes you wonder if they are having to wait on, on the championship games this weekend to get done. Uh, Missouri, I heard a lot of Will Healy. We're taping this on Tuesday morning. I heard a lot of Healy talk uh, late last night out of Missouri. I don't know whether that's just because he was sort of the last guy they talked to or whether there was something there. What, what are you hearing out of Missouri? 
Um, I think Missouri is in the process of building the list. I think that this was not a situation they expected to have happen this season. There was just uh, aggressive confusion, let's call it, between what was going on with the football program, and then they called them the presidents there, I believe, which is basically their board of trustees or their you know, board of governors. It's different in every school. Right. Um, Healy, I think, is, a, is an intriguing name. Uh, he's obviously been at Charlotte for one year, got them bowl eligible, resurrected a terrible Austin P program at FCS. I've sat and interviewed him a couple times. I think he's a very, very intriguing name and a very promising, very promising young head coach. I don't know what direction Missouri wants other than the only thing that I've been told emphatically by those in the agent community is that they want offense. They want the, they, they want a return to a little bit more of a consistent, aggressive offense. And they kind of just fell. I mean, they fell apart down the stretch this year. I'm of the belief that that was a psychological effect of the NCAA and sort of having nothing to play for and the uncertainty of it. But regardless, they just look terrible down the stretch with Derek Dooley at the OC. If uh, Florida State doesn't get Bob Stoops and James Franklin and it doesn't get Mike Norvell, who does it get? I mean, at this point, I don't know. I think that a lot of people are talking – I know a lot of people are talking about that job as sort of being, you know – great on the outside you start doing the examination on the inside it's not it's not as appealing you know we talked about it at the top of the segment but i think that you have to get a serious long-term commitment there right you have to have something that's locked in where you're not going to have a willie taggart situation happen to you and i just don't know what the financial state of florida state is i don't know if they're they're equipped to do the matt rule contract on somebody or not i mean that's what it's going to take there's way more rebuilding there than people realize Last thing on the field, if we get a LSU Ohio State championship game, which God would be so, it'd be kind of fun. It'd be refreshing to sort of. Yeah. Ohio State's not a new face, but it's not Alabama and Clemson at this point. And LSU's a new right. face and the Burrow thing and all that. Um, I guess is that game as attractive to you as it is to me? Because it's for me, it's like must-watch television. And who would you like in it? I think any of those three. I mean, I, I think the combination of the three teams right now, Clemson, LSU, Ohio State, in no order, um, are so head and shoulders above everything else that the only thing that's interesting to me right now is what style of play from the number four seed do we want to see in the playoff? I'm, I'm really intrigued by Utah. I think they would be the most dynamic. If you had to ask me who the, the number one seed should be, I couldn't tell you the same answer. I mean, like I, I go back and forth. I'm I'm a little torn right now between Ohio State and LSU. I think just it's not really so much a fault of their own, but Clemson has not had a showcase moment this season just because of their schedule, and they can't control that. And I understand that, but I think any combination of those three teams in the conference or in the uh, playoff championship is going to be a really, really fun game. And yeah, it's nice not to have Alabama in there. Let's be honest. I think we were all getting a little fatigued. Yeah. Yeah, I think the fact that we were all getting fatigued is a tribute to what Nick Saban and and they did for more than a decade, and they're still they're still an elite program. Yeah. But it feels like people are starting to catch them a little, which is what happens with dynasties. I mean, they created an indelible change in college football. The Saban effect is real. It changed everything in the Southeastern Conference. So, I think that um, you know it's certainly not over, but there has to be a little bit of. Um, there has to be a little bit of variance here I think, to get to keep people engaged in college football. Final thing you think Mike Norvell takes it, don't you? Probably, probably, yes, probably. That's my opinion, not my, not not me as a reporter. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, these things, it's it's funny, you know. Everybody holds you to what you write on a Tuesday. 
seven days before yeah. a deal gets done. And, and I get why fans get frustrated. I do. I understand it. And people who, who are refreshing Twitter every every six seconds, I understand completely how they they get lost in it. But these things don't happen in Twitter time. These things these things do move, and they're organic, and they feed off yeah. each other, and, and things do change. Yeah. They're not hiring Mike Leach. No, no, they're not hiring Mike Leach. Hey, man, I they're know you, you, got a, you got a meeting to go to. I appreciate your time very much. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Our thanks to Stephen for his time today talking coaching search and uh, a little bit more. We'll be back next week with another beer garden. Not sure what the topic will be. Not sure what the timing will be. Got to see how these coaching searches shake out around the country, including the one here in Oxford at Ole Miss. So until next week, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks again to the people at Oxford Crystal for sponsoring this show. Thanks to Clark Ford as well. I'm Neil McCready. Until next week, take care.